located 
It's not located in how do we publish a paper and get it into EPW so that I can get it into my CV and then I'll be a better pro uh, academic guy and I'll get promoted. We couldn't care less. We're seeing it as our yagna carrying out our swadharma. Therefore, when you look at it this way, the, uh, the idea of tapasya is very important in this swadharma. These are all terms that we've debated, argued with e-groups and you know, you guys, we, we've all been in together for a very long time. So I won't uh, describe them in detail, but I think the terms are fairly self-explanatory. So this is, this is the Swadeshi ideology is a movement to do that. Now we are going to pick a different target every year so that we are not vague. I have sponsored over a hundred conferences and I know why they're bogus most of them and I've attended many more. They do not have a ground-changing impact because a lot of people come, they give talks on many different, very fuzzy things. You don't know what the guy is saying half the time. and There's no kind of direction. There's no change direction to, to what's generally going on. We want to be different and we want to actually have something which is creating an intervention in the, in the discourse and bringing about change. And so there are two aspects to it. Like I said in the, in the first talk I gave two days ago, there is the the deconstruction and the reconstruction. Yeah. So they, 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 you can think of them as a negative and a positive, pulling out the weeds and planting the roses. There is both of that. So it's not just negative things we're doing. So the Indology will also construct based on archaeological evidence what what we can now say about our ancient history. We're planning doing those kind of conferences also. So Sudeshi so Indology is a broad kind of re, rediscovery of ourselves, kind of a yoga. Okay. So that being the case. The reason I'm very happy, the reason I'm very happy about the outcome of this is I'm, no, I'm not feeling alone anymore. I'm telling you my, this is my feeling. I felt alone for a long time. Every time I do a book, I get attacked and I get deserted by my own people. Because when the, they all call me and say, sir, go fight, sir, ah, you're great. And the moment one bullet is fired at me, you all run off. Then some people say, "Well, you are so good, nothing will happen to you. You fight on your own." <laughs> some people say the devatas, the protectors, don't worry, but they are not there. Okay. So I trick you guys. I trick you guys to get in on the video of uh, Suresh and take a stand. And these videos will be edited and they will put out everywhere. You can't back out of it. <laughs> okay. huh? So, uh, wait a second. No, no, this is no hand and like that. You step. No, what? I have a lot to say, so please. Now, I made this mistake in the Wendy Doniger intervention. Similar pattern. When I talked about Wendy Doniger, same thing. People said, why are you focusing on one person? Uh, she's not all that bad. She's also good. She was actually a hero at that time. Among Hindus. Hindu temples would invite her give a lot of honorarium in Chicago and all these places. She was considered like the good Hindu, uh, promoting Hinduism. A lot of our kids would go there. So when this was exposed uh, by me way back 15-20 years ago, and this book Academic Hindu Phobia now being released by Swam, Dr. Swami on Sunday, is actually a repackage, a republishing of my old essays at that time. So at that time we had the same people say, like now people say, why are you obsessed with Pollock? I tell you, within two years, this has been the hottest topic. Pollock will become, Pollock studies, Pollock critiques, all these postmodern guys who have been sleeping for all these decades, will suddenly wake up and start studying him. And the traditional scholars will also pick it up. 
You can, I am predicting you that. Okay. And this is also what happened with Wendy Doniger. Once, once all the, I, I took all the firing, wiring and the blaming and accused, being accused of all sorts of things. But eventually what happened is a lot more people on our side starting getting involved, getting involved. And so this kind of triggered more action from both sides. The mistake I made is I did not create a home team. I kind of started this battle and abandoned it to move on to the next book and the next book. I should have had this kind of a thing to create 20 guys who have taken the stand, published their book, then I could sneak out and then they have a fight. So you know what you, you are. Okay. See? So now you like it or not, you are the home team. Because that is required. This is your tapas. This is your tapas. This is your yagna. I have said it all along. It's not a trick. I have always said don't do unless your Swadharma calls you to do this. Okay. And reversing the gaze and having the confidence and having this uh, reclaiming your adhikar, like they had this, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street kind of movement. So we are doing Occupy ideology. We are occupying what's ours, taking it back. Yeah. So if it is your calling, you do it. Otherwise, don't. It is not some kind of a. Uh, you know, part of your sarkari job or something that you just do these things and you go around. You are not professional. This is an advantage of not being a professional humanities scholar because you are not doing it as part of your profession and worrying about what this guy will think and will I get my next grant and will they invite me for a talk there. You are not worrying about that. This is, this, is your, this is that part of your life which is truly yourself. This is truly yourself rather than some, some job related kind of a thing. So there are disadvantages not being inside the system, but there are also advantages. I will tell you this, that we put out this call for papers and invited everybody. Uh, there is no reason the humanities people couldn't have presented more papers. There is no reason the Sanskrit uh, traditionalists couldn't have presented more papers. But Kanan, Professor Kanan predicted that you know the Sanskrit people, a lot of them, just not good enough or not energized enough and they're not uh, they're just going to sit and comment and pontificate have a lot of opinions but they're not going to actually do the hard work and so neither the humanities post-colonial people post-modern people have been at the front of this battle whether it was Wendy Doniger whether it was my whatever this is my fifth book uh, all the way up to Pollock they have not been the ones who really done this nor is it the traditional Sanskrit people so this is our problem too. So people who are boxed in as ultra specialists are sold out. They're part of various vested interests. It's very difficult. And maybe they're mediocre. I gave so many millions of dollars of grants. I mean, he says I'm not a generous guy, but I am poor because I overdid it. I overdid it. Yes. I genuinely just said, okay, you should just give it now. So, but that's my foolishness. And I learned that I trusted a lot of people that I should not have, you know. So I learned a lot of things as a byproduct of that. And that is that people who are in certain professions are not qualified, not that smart to revolutionize their thinking because they're a product of that. They're inside, they're sitting and looking at it from inside. And you have to be on the outside to look at it differently. So uh, the most of the, and there was no bias, the reviewers, there were three reviewers, very tough stature, who reviewed. And it is blind reviews. Nobody knew which whose paper it is they're reviewing. And it so happened that majority of the papers that got selected 
are by people from science, technology, IT, this and that. So before we criticize that, okay, a bunch of scientist type people, they are not formally trained, maybe that's a blessing. It can also be that they are more creative, they are more logical, they are more analytical. And I also see that this whole facade and edifice of social sciences needs to be attacked and critiqued as a whole system because this is a western way of thinking, the social sciences and humanities is alien to us, it is a kind of a oppression, we are being colonized by these theories and we don't need them. So if you look at, uh, you know in physics you have stable equilibrium and then it can destabilize, break down and then all these parts move around until another stable equilibrium happens, you know. So you have a glass and you topple it, it boom and there is chaos but then there is the, that's another stable equilibrium with all that thing sitting there, it's a stable equilibrium too and then you throw it in the trash and you have, that's another stable equilibrium. So this crisis of myth of humanities, humanities as a myth that the westerners have the ability to develop these theories and come up with the objective truth about human beings all over the world, of all cultures, fit them into these kind of theories, that myth is actually failing. It is failing because humanities in the West are actually downsizing. They are having difficulty getting enough students. People are going for hard sciences because they are practical or medicine or this or that or business. They are going into things that are practical even in India. It is happening in the West also. So these very uh, humanities oriented things are not uh, considered that uh, relevant and it's sad because I think that they do offer quite a lot. But they have also to be blamed because they went overboard in asserting too much claim to truth, too much arrogance and therefore uh, you know they just, this is a bad karma I guess for them. They've done quite a lot of bad karma. So I'm not uh, a big fan that uh, we have to necessarily uh, uh, you know, uh, toe the line and fit into the social sciences. And the remark that uh, one article in EPW will be worth more, I'm not sure I agree with it. That's old school thinking. I think that uh, you can get a million people on social media following you, you probably make more impact than uh, uh, an article in EPW which maybe 200 people will read. I mean, the total readership of the, a typical academic book published in India is in the hundreds. You believe that? It is in the hundreds. Whereas we're we're reaching lakhs. And there's a difference. This is this is, this is the new that is old school when only certain channels of knowledge flow existed and people were gatekeepers, they could regulate that. And so if you did not impress the editors of EPW, then you could be blacklisted. You see? And I'm saying I don't even care about you guys. You can blacklist me all you want because because the real people are out there. I have ways of reaching them and they're not going to read EPW anyway. So this is the real age of the Amadi. So there is a case to be made for the Amadi knowledge. Which says this is not the elitist guy sitting in some uh, you know uh, academic position. Though actually the brick and mortar university is in threat. There is a meeting of major universities in the United States and one guy from the Princeton administration said that these billions of dollars of mighty buildings and campuses and very beautiful stuff, we don't know if people in the next generation will be filling it up because they are going online. These online courses, online. So there is one physics professor in Princeton, he's got 200,000 online students in his course on, Princeton, on physics and they get credit. 
So people are going to new distance learning kind of methodologies. And so the university of the future may not be a physical place. Maybe they'll have need some for certain things like laboratory or surgery you need to learn. You'll be in a physical place perhaps. But for a lot of things that is going to go distant. So this is threatening the structure. Once it goes distant learning, then you know you may be able to, you as a person sitting in Hong Kong may apply to be the professor and you teach the course and the university will not require you to relocate and live in one place. So the teachers may also be anywhere. So you may think of this as Uberization of education. Uberization of education. Yeah? So the Uberization of education means that this old system of control and who gets in and who's who's right and whatnot is being dismantled. This is what's happening. Knowledge is becoming Googleized. Googleization of knowledge. So you click and you know somebody's things pop up and uh, somebody else's doesn't. There's no peer review deciding whose whose idea who will be popped up in the search. So this is whether you like it, whether you want to hate it. This is reality. We have to deal with reality. So that's the way the world is moving. So therefore, we have to be compatible with this kind of a world and not worry too much about, you know, the old institutionalized systems, whether we are part of that or not. So I'm very happy uh, the, this. Now, the critique of Pollock, why didn't the post-colonialists who are, well, first of all, the, the field called post-colonial is supposed to have made us post-colonial, means decolonized, but they are some of the most colonized people. Post-colonial studies has failed because in the last 40-50 years, it has not gone as one inch towards decolonization. If that was its promise, as the name suggests, it has failed. So what is post-colonial about colonial? It is a recolonization. It is not post-colonization, it is recolonization. a new kind of a colonial thinking. They've imported, rejected the old colonial social science models and imported new ones. So why is it that Pollock never got criticized or never got studied until I started doing it. There is not one important work done by the so-called people whose job is to do that. Not one. But believe me, in the next 12 to 24 months, everyone will be jumping on the bandwagon and claiming, yeah, 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 you know, I'm this Pollock studies, I'm like that. You will see a lot of publications now coming out. You will see that. Same thing happened with Wendy Doniger. Nobody had bothered. Now, you know, the question is, is this proper psychology, is it proper your hermeneutics, is proper, is all this is all over the place, people are talking about it, but it was an outsider who had to open this up. So you cannot count on the insiders of this academic field to be self-critical. That's a trap, they're, they're stuck in that, in that mode. And um, I have written about Pollock. 11 years ago in 2005 Bangkok conference, which was a decade before the recent one, I gave a talk called Geopolitics and Sanskrit. The uh, crown princess was sitting there. 10 years later, I reminded her that I, in that earlier talk, 2005, I mentioned Sheldon Pollock. I quoted him. It, they, it's in the, online in my paper. It, they published it in their, in their journal in Thailand. It was a leading article in that journal. And I, I quoted what he's talking about, this whole Nazi philosophy thing and all that. I don't mention it over there. So it's like, even if even if then the post-colonial people had started looking at it, at least they would have had an 11 year head start. But they didn't. So they, what is the excuse? Why are they so inbred into their own theories and depressing each other in little cabals here and there and have not gone out and done pioneering work of this kind? 
and we in Swadeshi Indology intend to do that. We will, we will uh, open up new frontiers of knowledge, investigation, and then all these Sarkari scholars will be coming to copy it and uh, take it, which is good. We want that. We want to open doors and let these guys join us. Okay. So, uh, the, uh, the multidisciplinary nature of our approach says, you know, you should be a physics person, come and join us. You should be a technical person, come and join us. You should be a computer scientist, come and join us. This, the, the study of who we are and our civilization and the nature of the human being is not something disconnected from all of this because science is going to rapidly uh, change things. And so you may be a neuroscientist, you may be a cognitive scientist, all this is very important. In, and the humanities have no place for that. The humanities as currently constituted, one of the speakers even said, one of the person asked the question, the physicist lady somewhere here, she even said that this is all old physics, obsolete physics, on which the humanities continue to uh, do their thing. Uh, even 100 years, uh, obsolete Newtonian physics, they are still using. <laughs> that is so, you know, so what we are saying here is there is also, besides the clash between, you know, the Indian view and the Western, there is also a clash of disciplines. They are both important part. There is a clash. This is the scientific nerds like me fighting back. It is a nerd in me called fighting back and saying, I want my tradition from these guys in, the, in social sciences and I don't trust them, what they have been writing about it. It has nothing to do with whether they are Indian or not. This, that, those disciplines have actually uh, lost credibility. And the scientific people are the ones who are going to make money, get jobs, have positions of power. Uh, in more, That's the way the world is moving. And so they want space and they want to invade this uh, field of uh, you know studying India and studying and so on. So I think it's a good thing that a lot of untrained officially people are getting in. There was a there was a famous uh, Ross Perot was a Ross Perot was a presidential candidate, he was a businessman, and he, he was he, his calling card was that he was not a politician, and he ran as an independent candidate, got more votes than any independent candidate ever got, and in the presidential debates, usually there are two Republican and Democrat. This time there were three. He was the third one. So a very amazing uh, character. Of course, he didn't win this many years ago. But somebody, his opponent said, you do not have the experience. So his answer right quick way, he said, I have no experience in the corruption of the government. I have no experience in the deficit of the government. I have no experience in creating unemployment. He listed all the problems and said, I have no experience in that. And the people just applauded because they wanted a fresh person outside. So this is probably what the state of the humanities could be seen as. Also that the humanities have not really delivered what they are supposed to. So I am happy that uh, it, it, what we want is that when you are doing these Pollock exercises, you have to read closely. And the reason multiple people are doing the same topic is that you also learn from each other. And so uh, we did four topics. I have a map of Pollock's intellectual thinking, which I haven't published. And in that, there's about 10 or 12 modules. We've done four. So there's many more modules. And then how these modules fit into an architecture is very brilliant, very brilliant. How the output of this then gets used, assumed over there. Even though it did not prove anything here, 
but in the next one he will assume that is the truth and then which module he will contradict he will not use even his own so he's got many many things floating around many he pick and choose configure it for this particular article's purpose that very kind of clever so you have to study as he said you have to study the total system that he has in order to make sense of it but you have to start slice at a time if you try to dissolve try to boil the ocean you will never get anywhere you have to dissect parts parts then understand how they fit so it will take multiple conferences i mean you don't learn this complexity that somebody has built in 40 in 40 years or so you don't just learn it overnight and remember since the time they started working till today it's been what 3 months yeah yes sir 3 months most of them never most of them never heard of all three months they can do this it's pretty good i would say you guys have done pretty good so uh, each scholar by reading pollock on his own or her own and coming up with their own interpretation it becomes your reality now it's no longer rajiv said it you know it this is your reality this is your finding so when you say he is clever he is cunning he is doing that it's not anybody else it's your discovery this is very important this transforms you turns you into a scholar of this pur paksh kind of thing it's your thing and so i'm happy I and mean, whether whether we some multiple people are duplicating doesn't matter it's the first time and so we we can we can definitely accept that uh the idea uh, of uh, Uh, let me just go through this quickly because uh, 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 I have so much more to say than just uh, Pollock. Uh, the I have uh, modules I will send by email later that I feel the next five or six modules. And just like we took these four modules and gave you the complete reading list of him in each of them, so you don't have to go searching. You just read those things. We'll do that for the next batch of five or six modules. and so then you can start developing on that and also we we'll bring more traditional scholars and we would like to bring post colonial scholars also but they have to they have to come into the system apply send in an abstracts and in a paper and we would we would love that the next conference should have not just you know science technology type outsiders we would love the traditional sanskrit people more represented and we would love humanities people more represented but then they have to they have to make an effort and not feel some kind of entitlement that they get so in that i'm hoping makkalan can help us you know promote this idea with humanities people that uh, you know here is a call for papers and please take it seriously because they are the ones not taking it seriously and similarly uh, professor jha and uh, kannan go and uh, go to the bb parikshan list in various other places and advocate that they should get the, get involved in this you know so we need uh, we need that uh, cross fertilization uh, happening the it is sad that uh, for a man a polak outsider studies western classics marxism post marxism post modernism all of that to apply to our system collaborates for decades with sanskrit traditional scholars he hires them he uses them they they get him awards so he's totally aligned with these guys but right here in our own country the people in post colonial studies and post modern studies do not have the collaboration with the, our own sanskrit people why 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 not indian 
guy delhi university jnu uh, you know uh, madras college whatever uh, connect with the you know sanskrit people and start collaborative exercises to do all this we we don't have enough of that uh, going on there because we we've been trained to think in a little box you know of our own so these are uh, these are uh, issues i'm glad i'll notice uh, i'll just comment a few things i noticed were very impressive i'm very happy that so many people of their own came up with the uh, with the conclusion that pollock should be seen as a brilliant man he should not be seen as a fool okay and so the weak papers i think are the ones that trivialize him name calling polemics is this and that and therefore is no good i think the strong papers are the ones which say that what he's done is actually quite a remarkable accomplishment for one man to do and then you have to go and figure figure out what your response is to that that's more difficult than character assassination or bad intentions kind of a dismissal of a person uh, and they also caught many of you also caught the sneakiness the misquoting uh, illogical incomplete data you know just quoting what suits you <laughs> hiding the the actual pointing he almost refutes his own thesis sometimes and then he quietly slips off you know moves moves away so a lot of you caught that and, and that is uh, and then you also caught uh, you also commented on uh, how he is very diplomatic very polite saying all kind of good things also the diplomacy and hubri lot of complexity for no reason just to be sounding very lofty and you caught that and then the the i have a chapter in my book called is it too big to uh, there is this business about are the banks too big to fail you know are they too big to fail this kind of a statement so i made this part too big to criticize and in there i'm showing why he has built a very big image and it's like you how dare you you know you're attacking me who are you kind this kind of an image and what why how he's done it all the awards he got the government of india this top president sanskrit award you know he got padma shri all these all the uh, the ndtv all the friend of india award by india today like you know all of these kind of india abroad so the various uh, accolades and his army of students and where they are implanted so why he has become uh, somebody that you know is very dangerous to criticize and you saw when i when we had a petition against him the multi million dollar advertising pr campaign all over the media that he is the greatest guy and how can you ever marry how can you criticize time magazine newsweek new york times all kind of places had this sort of thing see and then you are india every paper mainstream paper an unknown guy suddenly being hoisted as and has to be defended you know it's a very amazing feat so that is to be studied what's the power structure that has indian power structure somebody relatively unknown to the americans because this business of indology very few americans would be concerned about and among the academic people also very specialized kind of a fellow you know doing some very specialized thing uh, not somebody that you would ever show up in uh, you know uh, cnn in the us or something like that would not but suddenly indians have fisted him and this happened in the british era lot of the british who were unknown you know kind of the second son or the third son the first son would become lord and look after the family estate and the the guy was useless to be sent to east india company and he would <laughs> he would come back a multi millionaire and then he'd become be the lord because india would be the place where he became somebody
So you see, you see that in lot of uh, like this guy who runs the Jaipur Literary Festival, non-entity in his home country, but because he's this Western, this British guy, you know, he's like a big, huge figure. You know, we've watched it. We've, we made these people great, and that greatness that we've given them here is what they cash out in their country. So Wendy Doniger and these kind of people became, uh, in their, in the eyes of the Western Academy, very important because the Indians have bestowed upon them the honor of being the expert on Hinduism. See, so we have created these uh, monsters in a sense. We've created the problems for ourselves. So, um, the, uh, the study of Pollock, I think, has arrived. My book alone would not do it. Because my book would sell well, I, it would uh, make me a bit of a hero and a lot of a, a villain, depending on whose point of view it is. It would be sensational, uh, and then I would move on to another book, and it would be like uh, the Wendy Doniger situation. Somebody, there were people who took over the Wendy Doniger fight in India. You know how it happened. I don't think they were the best people. They were not people who really went through the rigor. They just more into hitting. Uh, emotional hitting. We've been hurt. Uh, this, that's not how I, we want to fight this. So, this exercise we're going through, and we go through more of these, is going to create the level of rigor and the kind of team. And the, you, you have to be, you have to become better at articulating your point of view, defending your arguments. And right now we have 20. Hopefully next time we have 50. Because I want to have 108 people in my home team for intellectual kshatriyas who can be going around the world, going to panels, uh, going and you know, arguing, debating, uh, using whatever we are, whatever arguments are, being able to represent them. So that's that's where uh, where uh, I would like to take this. Um, then I want to I want to basically say that uh, uh, if you look at the intellectual history of Pollock, the intellectual history of Pollock. There is that very early uh, person who's built the foundations for these building blocks. The two main things early on, the Ramayana and the Shastra came very early on, worked out. And then how different things are happening. And how uh, after, a gap, after a gap of seven, eight years, suddenly in the early 90s, he's done some amazing few things. The deep orientalism comes out and this Ramayana thing, you know, that Ramayana is an anti-Muslim thing, it suddenly comes out. If you look at it, it's linked with his life and political situation. The Babri Masjid is a milestone. The book by uh, Edward Said is a milestone. So he's, he's very, really current with uh, the state of affairs. So developing, I may, I may write something on his, his intellectual history, not biography, personal. But just what is the chronology of his development as a person? What are the building blocks? How they feed each other? I might do something like that because that might uh, that might help you. A comment I want to make on uh, the uh, remark that Makran made is very important. That the the study of the other we can't say wasn't done before. Kannan had said it was not done before, and Makran said it has been done before. However, the examples of people who did it before are as individuals and not institutionalized. I think that's an important point. There is a difference between, see the seminary in the United States standard, they have comparative religion. It's part of curriculum, part of curriculum. 
So it is not that there happened to be one guy who wrote a book, but it is it is institutionalized their study of us through anthropology, through various lenses, through Indology is a method of studying the other. We don't have a Westology. We don't have an Americanology like they have an Indology. We don't have so we do not have if if it is not formal, institutionalized, a legitimate field of study for us. Maybe one individual did it, another individual came and did it. But then after they are gone, where is it? It has not become so. So Arya Samaj founder did it. We say we, we, that he did some Puru Paksha. But what happened after that? After he is gone, no one continued the Puru Paksha tradition. And this has to be ongoing. You can't just do it once and forget about it. So the West has done a much better job of studying us than we have done the other way. And Chinese have an institutionalized study of uh, the West. Occidentalism is study is a subject and people are trained to do that. There are groups whose job is to track violations of human rights by the United States, groups in China. So every time the US issues this human rights report saying what China has done, within a week or 10 days, the Chinese introduce their own report on US, what they have done wrong. Because they have an institutionalized mechanism. It's not that somebody has done it once in a while. There's a difference between an individual and an institutional mechanism. We don't have those uh, institutional mechanisms. So, I will uh, uh, I will close, but I want to uh, leave the, leave you with uh, uh, the idea th uh, that uh, uh, within a six month period or so, we want to have a second uh, follow conference. Okay, uh, where all those who are whose papers are good quality this time should do more work and new people should be coming in. And I'm hoping that Professor Jha will get us some good young scholars, like Kannan got us some. Maybe you introduce us to them now and we get them going. Because we want a lot of Sanskrit people to get into this field. You know, uh, So that would, be, uh, that would be a very useful thing. And then we are looking at some topics for next year, which I mentioned earlier. We will uh, hopefully within the next couple of two, three weeks, be able to finalize some things and get them back to you. So I, I will finally uh, want to thank all of you. I want to thank the uh, people who did the papers, the people who did the uh, reviews of the papers, the management of the whole thing under Vijaya, uh, fantastic, and Shalini, and Meg, and so many volunteers who really helped work very, very hard. And I'm personally very grateful to all of you because I know how, how difficult it is uh, for you to do all this. And, uh, and so we will, uh, uh, I'll be leaving uh, with the, uh, after this evening, I'll be gone, so tomorrow morning I'm flying out. And uh, there will be some follow-up uh, to this uh, through our uh, you know, Shalini and other people that will get back to you with the, uh, you know, what happens next. But the papers have to be turned in by the end of July final. That is exceedingly important. Is there any anything else, uh, Shalini or Vijay, you want me to announce? Any